0: is dropped and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg what a peg at a shot they's score! Connor scores! What a stop by Halabak. Nikolai Eilers up the faceoff. Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV.
1: it's that time again it's another episode of Ground Control the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets episode 139 and well if you've you know downloaded this podcast or gone to winnipegjets.com you already know who the guest is it's Marty Johnston of uh, the Winnipeg Jets coaching staff he's going to join us a little bit later on uh, so make sure you stay tuned to that one but before we get to that we've got a few things to talk about and the people in the room with me right now to break it all down. Paul Edmonds, the play-by-play voice of the Winnipeg Jets on 680 CJOB and his partner in crime, although I would never accuse you of any crime, Jamie Thomas, on 680 CJOB, your color analyst as well. And guys, before we get to uh, Marty Johnson, a couple of things. First off, just this last weekend, the Manitoba Open, $115,000 donated to True North Youth Foundation through that PGA Tour Canada event. And it hadn't been here since 2019 and been like a long wait, especially for a golf fan like myself. Uh, some of the kids from the North Youth Foundation got to head to the course, uh, which was at uh, Southwood Golf and Country Club and work with the University of Manitoba Bisons golf team as part of that week. But uh, four PGA Tour Canada players also made their way to Camp Manitou a little bit earlier in the week. And then after the rain washed out play on Thursday, finally things got underway on Friday, including for Mark Shifley, who was playing on a sponsor exemption. It's the second time he's done that. And, Paul, you and I were kind of going back and forth uh, in the office. It was Monday or Tuesday, uh, just to kind of about our experiences at the tournament. Uh, So I'll get you to kind of talk about yourself and then we'll get into what Mark Shifley was kind of able to accomplish.
0: I got invited to MC the dinner and with that was the opportunity to play in the Pro-Am, which was on the Wednesday. And I'd never played in a Pro-Am before. So that was special in and of itself. To not only play with a group and then see the layout of the course. And by the way, Southwood did a great job and all of the volunteers. I mean, this is a, a very quality stop on that Canadian Open, if you will, or that Canadian tour. And the Manitoba Open has just always been very well sponsored and very well attended, and the volunteerism is second to none. Southwood's setup was excellent. It it really had a, a PGA tournament feel to it with the tents and the the stands and, and the bleachers around certain holes. So playing through all of that kind of made you feel like a pro for a day. But then you get to play with the pro. And I played with Cooper Musselman, and he did make the cut, and he... he cash to check. He probably didn't have the tournament that he wanted, but just to play with a a player like that. I mean, this guy's 27 years old, went to the University of Kentucky and plays golf every single day, probably 36 holes. And if it's not 18 or 36, then it's probably 18 plus working on chipping, putting, and the other sort of fine tuning elements of your game. And The best way I can describe this is he's playing from the tips, like the furthest distance that you can play from the tee box to the green. So we're standing at the whites and he's hitting first. And there's no fear of him hitting us, of course, because every shot is just perfect. But the ball literally whistling by you at the speed as it accelerates off the club head is just something to kind of really marvel at. And then how he plays the game, how he looks for shots. He's not just trying to put the ball on the green, guys. He's trying to put it on a spot on the green so that he can maybe get a roll. Or if he doesn't get the roll, then he puts himself in the best spot to try to make a putt and a one putt at that. So there was certain things that I really picked up and, and really uh, appreciate that pro level of golf. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think, and you got a chance to caddy in it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole different experience. Cause you're actually working one-on-one with one of the professional golfers on that tour.
1: Yeah. Shout out to uh, Nolan Ray, who had me on the, on the bag uh, for the Friday round. I, kind of joined the caddy fraternity, if you will, a little bit late, just because I had a big family reunion on the weekend. So I was like, "Ah, I'm not going to be able to volunteer that much. But there was, I guess, more players needed caddies than everybody anticipated. I guess guys that would normally carry for themselves got there. The course was playing 7,300 yards, which if you look at the PGA Tours U.S. Open that just went by, PGA Tours U.S. Open was 7,200 and change. Southwood was playing 7,300 yards. So longer than the U.S. Open, and that the pga tour players played now so i guess guys got there and they were like you know we need some caddies so late in the week there was an email that went out i was like hey like i can give you a thursday friday of course thursday gets rained out so i got to only do one round with him on friday but uh, he's from nashville and a massive hockey fan so we were talking on the range just before we uh before we uh, got our round underway and he asked what i did for work and i let him know and he goes so we got to talk about Jets and Predators 2018, don't we? And I said, gladly, I will gladly talk to you about that. Uh, so shout out to Nolan, uh, who obviously he didn't have the tournament that, that he was hoping for either. Uh, missing the cut, but uh, obviously a guy whose game is going in the right direction. He shot six under on the second day and just barely missed the cut. So um, if, he did, if he had had a better caddy on that first day, I think he was probably going to be all right. <laughs> uh, Mark Shifley shot 78 and 84, beating his scores from 2018. Uh, he was likely hoping for a little bit better, and he was hanging around like on that first day. He had a couple of bad holes coming in, but otherwise he was, he was hanging right around level par, so uh, good for him in that regard we'll slide into the Jets line configuration that which this was in your your view from the booth piece on winnipegjets.com Paul and we'll get Jamie in on this one as well some members of the Winnipeg Jets have moved on obviously in the news this week Paul Stastny going to the Carolina Hurricanes but some of the same faces remain I'm just curious because Rick Bonus won't let us into the coach's office to see these lines that he's maybe got on the wall What decisions, or where do you think the decisions lie, Paul? And then we'll get Jamie in after this.
0: Well, let's go back to when Paul Maurice was the long-term head coach at the Winnipeg Jets. And he always talked about when it came to line configuration questions, starting out with pairs. He didn't talk about a trio. He talked about two. So I think that's where it's a good starting place for us. Pierre, Luc DuBois, Kyle Connor played very well together. So, if you're Rick Bonus, you've watched a lot of film, a lot of video, and you're saying, why do I want to break that up? So, I think that's a logical place to start with those two. And same with Scheifele and Wheeler. They played together very well. They enjoy playing together. They have success together. So, that's the other part on your top six. Now you've got to fill in the other two spots right winger for PLD and Connor, and then a left winger for Scheifele and Wheeler. So, It could be one of two scenarios. You could have Perfetti over on the right wing with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Connor, but I'm probably not thinking, and I'll just do the top six here, and then I'll Mm -hmm. get you to kind of chime in. I don't think you want to move Cole Perfetti to his off wing. You want him to establish himself this year as a full-time National Hockey League player. So I think a landing zone for him would be on the left side with Scheifele and Wheeler. There's good experience there. And then on the right side, you have... The ability and the adeptness of Nikolai Ehlers to play anywhere really on the ice in terms of a forward position. He can play his off wing. I think that's the spot that mm-hmm. Nikolai Ehlers will fit in, and that would be on the right wing side with Pierre Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor. So there's your top six, in my opinion. It's Connor. PLD, Ehlers, Perfetti, Shifleet, Wheeler. That's the way I think it starts. It can change, but I don't see a lot of deviation from those six in that mix.
2: And the bottom six, right? I, of, you know, Paul's talking about the configuration of the, of the top six forward group, and there could be some moving in, in on the wings there, but I think the third line... It's kind of been locked in since late last season with Morgan Barron, Adam Lowry, and Mason Appleton. And I just think those three worked really well together. And you're speaking of pairs, Mason Appleton and Adam Lowry, no question, those, those two are going to be the pair on, on that third line. And maybe, you know, Jansen Harkins gets a shot on the left side on that third line, but I just feel like Morgan Barron did enough um, late last year and will be given that opportunity this time around. Um, fourth line, you know, Dominic Toninato. There's no question to me that unless I would be shocked if he's not the fourth-line center right now. And I understand David Gustafson's going to push for that one day, but I, if he's making the big club this year, he's going to start on the wing, in my opinion. And then, of course, you've got Jansen Harkins, you got Christian Reichel. You know, Kevin Stenland's going to have a role in there as well too, right? Stenland uh, was given a shout-out by Pierre-Luc Dubois on the podcast that we did with him, and he played with him in Columbus. Kind of that sneaky... You know, if you're going to go from a fantasy hockey perspective, that's like a sleeper guy that you could think of too as well. So, but uh, the fourth line, lots of answers to be, or questions to be answered, particularly from Jansen Harkins. I don't. I think we can all agree in this room that wasn't the year that we expected, and certainly I, I, I feel Jansen didn't have that uh, in his in his thoughts as well, when looking into that season. So lots lots of answers to be had on that on that fourth line, but I think the third line you can kind of pencil in a little bit with a little bit of pen as well.
1: Jensen harkins just so much to like there in mm-hmm. the, in, the, in his game too uh jamie also the the blue line I think is going to be interesting so you, you obviously you've got the returning faces that everybody knows Morrissey Pionk, you know Schmidt Mello, you know all mm-hmm. those guys that you know have been around um the competition's going to be fierce for really like a. Sp- Lot. and, like, you consider what Dylan Sandberg was able to do last year. Mm-hmm. Billy Hainel is clearly going to want to be competing for that. Uh, Logan Stanley's another name that's going to be wanting to to compete in that area. So just curious what you kind of see on the blue line.
2: Well, w- no question, again, like, Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello, they're attached to the hip, the way they played um, – last season that gives you that. And you get that sense that Dylan Sandberg and Neil Pionk are going to be put together, not only because of the Hermantown, you know, connection, but just the, the, you know, this is a big year for, for Dylan Sandberg that, you know, Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon, like that's where it gets tricky here. And I think if somebody I'm going to be watching right away from camp is Logan Stanley, this is to me, last year was a tough year for him a second full year in the national hockey league this year, I think is a big year for Logan Stanley. And I think he probably realizes that. So as I sit there and said that second pairing with Dylan Sandberg and Neil Pionk, somebody's put in there. I don't know if we can say that right now. With There's going to be something to say from Logan Stanley when camp breaks.
0: I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested to watch to see if Brendan Dillon moves in with yeah. Neil Pionk. And the reason for that is... If you have Dylan and Schmidt as your third pair, those are two high-paid defensemen that Mm -hmm. need to get a little bit more ice time, in my opinion. Yeah, And then you're also trying to bring Dylan Sandberg along. I don't know where the fits are going to be, but that's where the intrigue comes Mm -hmm. in watching how the coaching staff puts these pairs of defensemen together. And I'm in full agreement. Sandberg, Stanley... Hainla will all be battling for that sixth and seventh spot on the team. Now, beyond that, gentlemen, I'm also going to watch to see who doesn't make the team in that group Mm -hmm. and is assigned to the Moose and what they do there. Because we saw last year, there's been numerous times over the course of the history of the Winnipeg Jets 2.0 where they've had a lot of defensemen fall to injury and then kind of had to move guys up. Ben Sherrod is the one that I really think of who came out of nowhere. All of a sudden he's playing certainly with Dustin Bufflin and the rest is history. At one point he told me he was like 16th on the depth chart. He felt (laughs) when he was drafted by the Atlanta thrashers. Mm -hmm. So let's see what happens at the moose level, because I'm not so sure that you, couldn't include the list of Leon Gavanka and also Declan Chisholm to be knocking at the door a little more loudly this year about getting some more playing time and being one of those first call up guys. I mean, Previous coaching staffs have talked about that. If you get assigned to the AHL affiliate, go down, play hard, and make sure that you're one of the guys that gets the first call up. That's your assignment. Play well for the team, but also play well enough where the coaching staffs are noticing you and want to promote you to the National Hockey League. So I think there's a trickle-down effect beyond just position 6 and 7 with the Winnipeg Jets to seven, eight, nine, and maybe 10 down into the Moose as well.
1: It's going to be so interesting when training camp starts. And as we know, the D pairs on the first day is how it's going to be the entire season. So make sure you're taking in all the ice sessions that you can at the uh, at Bell MTS Ice Plex. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see those decisions the coaching staff makes. And of course, speaking of the coaching staff, it's time to bring in our guest for this episode. It's assistant coach Marty Johnston. We cover a lot of ground in about 12 minutes. So get comfortable and enjoy the ride.
0: Shop where the players shop. Jets Gear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com.
3: Hi, this is Dylan Sandberg, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Pleased to be joined
1: on the Ground Control podcast by none other than Marty Johnston, who will be joining the Winnipeg Jets coaching staff this year. And Marty, before we get into really a lot of the other uh, parts of the job and your thoughts going into it, I'm just curious, how did it feel to learn you had your first National Hockey League assistant coaching job?
3: It was, it was a special moment, obviously, uh, you know, I played at, at a lower level, so I didn't have the opportunity to make the NHL as a player. So uh, going through that experience, you know, calling my dad and my mom and letting them know that, uh, you know, this was uh, an opportunity that was going to happen was very special. And then obviously my wife and my kids uh, getting to experience that um, was, was quite something. So yeah, special moment, something that I'll never forget and uh, really looking forward to the opportunity.
1: And you had really like uh, your coaching resume is extensive, but it it also, it goes back obviously much further than um, just you know, professional hockey, like we can talk the university side of things. You played for Dal- Dalhousie back when it was called the CIAU in the in the late 90s. You coached in the CIS with, with Carleton for nearly 10 years before coming to the Manitoba Moose. I'm just curious when it comes to that university hockey, um, it's a level of hockey that I've always thought doesn't get the credit it really deserves or, or the fanfare here in Canada. Uh, how would you describe what university sports did for you?
3: Well it was great for me uh, on a personal level in terms of uh, when I was finished playing junior hockey I had the option to go to the East Coast League or pursue my studies and uh, you know thankfully I got some good advice from my parents and uh, decided to to take the route of school and and have a plan b and uh, you know when I got out there I was uh, really amazed at how good the hockey was and uh, after three years at Dal I ended up getting an NHL main camp uh, tryout so you know, there is the opportunity for those athletes to continue to grow and get better and and have an opportunity to play. And you see the odd guy that's still making it to, to the NHL. You know, back in my day, Joel Ward was someone that I played against out East and uh, he ended up uh, having a good NHL career. But, um, you know, on the flip side of that, when I started coaching, it was, uh, it was great for me as a young coach to uh, get to make some mistakes that weren't necessarily under the spotlight of You know what I'm about to get into now and uh you know those 10 years were invaluable to me um you know being a head coach at 31 years old was something very unique and uh I feel very fortunate that I was given that opportunity and you know I've coached now for for quite a long time basically because I wasn't a very good hockey player so I feel that even though I'm 43 I have a lot of coaching experience under my belt.
0: Oh, contraire I understand you to be a fireplug of a hockey player and that's where I kind of want to talk about uh and my first question to you, Marty, and that is your playing career. You grew up in Ottawa, and then you ended up playing in the QMJHL. So how does a guy in Ontario end up playing in Quebec? Take us through that.
3: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I grew up in Ottawa here, and obviously the border to Gatineau is uh, about 20 minutes. So I uh, wasn't drafted to the Ontario Hockey League and um, got an opportunity to be invited to uh the Hull Olympics, uh, you know, and now they're called the Gatineau Olympics, uh, who are actually hosting the Memorial cup. So I was an 18 year old that decided to go to the major junior route, which was a little bit unconventional and, and obviously switched provinces and switched leagues. And, um, you know, was really fortunate to be on an excellent team. And that first year of junior hockey over there, we ended up winning the Memorial cup and had Claude Julian as uh, the head coach and, and played with some, some good NHL players on that team. And, uh, You know, you never forget the the teams that win championships. And I feel very fortunate that, uh, you know, I was given that opportunity and I played a small role on that team, but it was a great moment. Marty, you were the captain.
0: And then from there, you went on to be the captain when you went to CIS, CIAU as well. So... How does being the ultimate leader of many teams over the course of a handful of seasons translate to maybe being an assistant coach and and a head coach and and as you progress now to be an assistant in the National Hockey League?
3: Well, I think you know, obviously, I, I take it back to uh, I was fortunate to be raised by uh, some excellent parents that uh, I think instilled the right values in me, and uh, maybe that was the reason why I was a leader as a player. But uh, when it comes to coaching, I think you know I've worn different hats have been a head coach uh been an assistant and now i'm going to be an assistant at the nhl level so i think it's it's always you know making sure that you're honest and you're your true self but also figuring out where you fit and what the team needs not only uh the players but the coaching staff and i think that's going to be my job to figure out what rick needs and what brad and scott uh need from me and and uh you know we're going to make sure that uh we're giving the players everything they need to be successful, and we're really excited about the season. You touched
1: a little bit on, uh, you know, what the coaching staff that you're going to be working with this year uh, is going to need from you. I remember associate coach Scott O'Neill was on this podcast just a couple of weeks ago, talking to brilliant minds like like Paul Edmonds over there, and he described you as a ball of energy, but also someone that. Um, is going to bring some insight. You're going to be doing some five on five presentations, breaking down the opposition. What does that look like for you? And how much of a challenge is that, especially given not only the turnover in terms of personnel on some of the other teams that you're going to be facing every night in the national hockey league, but also the coaching changes that have gone on.
3: Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that, you know, for us, the challenge is going to be with, with the new coaching staffs that come into place with these teams, there's going to be some different looks, obviously, The teams that have had the same coaching staff, more than likely their systems will stay somewhat the same. Uh, But I mean, that's a great challenge to have. And I think that, you know, you have to dig in and and make sure you work so that your message is clear and and concise to the players. And that's what I intend to do is make sure that I'm doing all my homework so that when it comes time for us to talk about the other team and and my role, I'm prepared and and I know what I'm talking about. And uh, obviously, I'm going to lean on the experience that I have inside that coaching room. To uh, to have Scott O'Neill and Rick Bonus and Brad Lauer, I mean, I, I feel very privileged to to have the opportunity to work with those guys. What kind of things are you looking for? It
0: tells me a little bit from that answer that you know you'll be it'll be a collaborative effort, and you'll be asked for your opinion. But there'll be a little bit more on the scouting, advanced scouting side for you. So what are you looking for when you look at video or, or games on TV? I mean, sort of what's what's going to catch your eye that you can take into those coaches' meetings in preparation for Team X that you're gonna play on Wednesday night?
3: Well, I think that for us it's it's making sure that we don't analyze anything to anything to death the players need to play it's a fast game there's lots of decisions to be made out there so I think for us to make sure that we're giving them the information they need but not too much information Um, you know they're good players they're smart they're skilled we've got to allow them to do that so it's it's finding a few small details within each team but at the same time I think our major focus is going to be on ourselves so um, as much as you want to, you know, work hard and show everyone how hard you work, I think it's important also to be concise and and not give them too much. So um, it's going to be an interesting challenge, and I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, but again, we're going to, for the most part, focus on ourselves, and and we'll we'll find some details in the other team that we may want to expose. But uh, but at the end of the day, the players are going to do it on the ice. You
1: spent the last five seasons with the Manitoba Moose. Obviously, uh, it was something that we talked about early, and I'm curious what those seasons taught you as a coach, especially coming from the university level, where your athletes at, at that point have, you know, they've got school, they've got a lot of things to to focus on, and then you're going to the Manitoba Moose, where you have guys that are, you know, young prospects in the Winnipeg Jets organization getting their first taste of pro hockey. And then you have guys that uh, like the captain that you had last year that have, you know, been in the American Hockey League for, for quite a while. So there's a definitely a difference in terms of where guys are at in their careers at that American Hockey League level. What did that teach you about working with pro athletes, regardless of where they are in their career?
3: Oh, it was outstanding. And I mean, I think, you know, I feel very fortunate that, Five years ago, Pascal Vincent took a chance on a guy like me coming from university hockey, and he allowed me to grow. Um, You know, I was responsible for the power play, and Pascal had done that with the Jets, but he also let me do my job, and he delegated. So, um, you know, it was a really unique experience. I went from, you know, a macro environment where I was recruiting, you know, basically wearing lots of hats at the university level to um with the moose i was responsible for the power play and, and the development of the forwards so i really got to spend lots of time with the players um you know i think back to that first year and the opportunity i had to work with kyle connor and jack roslavik uh brendan lemieux some really talented young players but also got to learn from patrice cormier who had was a captain at that time and had played in the nhl so you kind of got to figure out what you you needed to do how much space you needed to give the players and how much feedback you needed to give the players. And I feel that over the course of the last five years, and even more so last year, when there was a coaching change and Mark came in, I got to work under a different head coach with a little different philosophy. And uh, it really helped me develop into what I believe is, um, you know, a coach that's got a good sense of what the players need and a good sense of what the head coach needs.
0: Two-parter for me here. You got a bit of a taste last year at the NHL level. You got a call-up, I guess, as as we like to put it in hockey parlance. Um, COVID struck the coaching staff of the Jets. You got a call-up, and you came up. And I know everybody was excited for you, and you had a smile from ear to ear. So a little bit about that experience. But then take us past that and kind of fill in the blanks on how the opportunity to advance from maybe that chance on the call up came to getting this job and how the conversations went to move up from the Moose to the Jets this season.
3: Yeah. I mean, that was a special moment. It was a special experience. It's obviously it happens for players, but it doesn't really happen for coaches where you get to get called up. But obviously through the COVID season, you saw that in a few cases, um, you know, for us, unfortunately it wasn't exactly that case. It was, some family reasons, but, um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that Dave Lowry uh, gave me the opportunity to do that. And, uh, for me, what I think it benefited me the most was that going into an interview, I had already been in front of an NHL team. I had talked to them, I had presented to them. Um, so I had the confidence in myself that, yeah, they're it's the next level and they're great players, but, um, at the same time, they're just guys that want to get better. And, uh, you know that those five games were a great experience for me. Obviously, uh, being on the bench that first game against Minnesota, where it was a little bit rough, was uh, was very fun. Something I'll never forget. Um, but yeah, when when it came time this summer to to go through the process, um, there was that level of confidence, I guess, that I had since I had already been up with the group for ten days. So um, so I feel fortunate in that, and uh, and I know this year's a new year, and it's a It's a new role, but um, I feel confident and and I'm excited. And, you know, the meetings we've had as a coaching staff give me a a real sense of positivity and, and, again, excitement about what's to come.
0: Final question, and that is, as a player, you play your shift. As a coach, do you play every shift?
3: Well, when I first started coaching, I certainly did. I think some of those guys that I coached uh, back at Carlton would uh, kind of shake their head, but I think the balance now, and as you learn over time and with experiences, that um, these players know when they've made a mistake. Uh, you don't have to correct them every time. Uh, they look for support and they need guidance at times, but you also have to give them their space. They're they're creative players, they're talented players, and uh, you have to let them play. And I'm sure you know when I'm sitting here. This time next year, I'll have an even better answer for you, having learned under Rick and Scott and Brad uh, and had a full NHL season. But I think that it's important that you don't uh, dissect the game too much. It's it's a fast game. Mistakes will be made. And our job is to support the players, and and we certainly believe in them.
1: Well, we never want to wish away any sort of Manitoba summer. But at this point, I'm about as fired up for training camp as I could possibly be. And it's still... Well, we're recording this at 9.08 a.m. on August 23rd, so we still got a little bit of waiting uh, until training camp. But, Marty, thanks very much for this, and uh, we can't wait to get started. I'm sure it's the same for you.
3: Yeah, I look forward to seeing you in September. Can't wait. The new
2: quarter-season ticket plans offer exclusive benefits, savings on ticket prices, discounts on merchandise, and access to season ticket holder events. Choose the pack that suits you and see the games you want to see.
1: Big thanks to Marty Johnston for his time. Looking forward to see what he can do behind the Winnipeg Jets bench and day in, day out. As obviously every coach will tell you, it's you know the games are kind of what get the adrenaline going, but uh, it's kind of the day in, day out of the National Hockey League. That's really uh, something that makes it special. Um, we kind of hinted at it throughout the interview there with Marty Johnston that uh, there's been a lot of changeover in the National Hockey League, which means it, when it comes time for your season ticket draft, there's some choices to make. So, before we get into our ticket draft, kind of the games that we might pick, uh, head to winnipegjets.com. You can find the season ticket package that works for you. Your quarter season packs are on sale for as little as $60 per game, with options like game packs, half season packages, and full season ticket memberships available. And by the time Paul, Jamie, and I make our selections, it's probably going to equal out to be about a quarter season pack. So, you know, just because I'm a gracious host, uh, Jamie, I'll let you pick first. Which, Well, well not to mention
0: the fact that he is the fantasy aficionado out of the three of
1: us. Very he true. really is. Just before this recording, I, mean, I, think football, I think he was answering some questions. No one lives Hockey, in the fantasy world more than Jamie. Baseball. <laughs>
0: what was that, Paul? Um, <laughs> D-League, basketball. I mean. <laughs> He's got it He's all. Got MD's gambling, He's gambling, You've got an MJHL <laughs> draft, a, a U18 provincial Manitoba draft. I mean, these all kinds of
1: drafts. Well, that's my turn for my pick.
2: Hold on. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's obvious, but when Toronto comes here on the twenty second of October, oh, yeah. like there's there's few times that when the w- w- Jets go up against a certain opponent that you know that something's going to happen, and as Paul Maurice just call them high ener- high um, impact games or. Um, so Toronto, whenever they come here, it's, of course, half full of Leaf fans, but there's just always that emotion. And for two teams that don't play against each other very often outside of the bubble year where they played each other too many times, um, I go back to what happened, the Pierre-Luc Dubois with Austin Matthews. Like just There's some great games there. So I, I'm, that, that's the first one on I uh, have to be able to see, it. of course, on a Saturday, and uh, that, that's
0: on top of the list. I'm going opening night, October 14th, New York Rangers, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> One, it seems like the last couple of years, or at least in around there, the Jets have opened up against the Rangers. So this is becoming kind of special. I think it was the first night uh, a number of years ago after the Jacob Truba trade that the Jets opened up in Madison Square Garden against the Rangers in the season opener. So now they get the return here. And speaking of Jacob Truby, he's now the new captain of the New York Rangers, so you're going to get to see that. They haven't had a captain in a number of years, so this is kind of special. He'll get to wear the C for the first time for the Rangers in a place where his career began. Not to mention the fact the New York Rangers were an Eastern Conference finalist last year. So a good team expected to make another step this year. So I think right out of the gate, opening night against the Rangers is one of the ones that I would draft if I had the opportunity to pick my 10 seats. I'm stealing the Hall of Fame induction night
1: against (laughs) the Anaheim Ducks. That's on November 17th. Okay, so when we were in Finland... The ovation for Teppo Newman and Timu Solani when they came out to do the ceremonial puck drops was absolutely phenomenal. So I would imagine it's going to be quite similar uh, inside Canada Life Centre as well. And then, of course, the Ducks are a team that's, kind of on the up and up and a team that's got a lot of skill, Trevor Zegers, need I say more, really. Uh, so anytime you got a, a team that's got some skill going up against the Winnipeg Jets, a team that, I mean, we rattled through the top six that the Jets are going to be rolling out here. There's a lot of skill there as well. So that's going to be the game that I'm going to pick November 17th against the Ducks.
2: Um, oh, now it's my turn. Uh, late March, actually the 31st, it is the return of Andrew Kopp. Um, and Detroit is, you know, Steve Yzerman is slowly, but, and patiently started to put this team together. The team spent some money in free agency. Any chance you get to watch more Cider Sider play is, is a great opportunity, but just to see uh, how Jets fans welcome back Andrew Kopp after a, a great career here uh, with the Winnipeg Jets. So March 31st, Friday, put that in your calendar.
0: November 29th, Colorado comes to town. For obvious reasons, mm-hmm. the defending Stanley Cup champions. Also the favorites to win the Central again. Also maybe the favorites to win the Cup again. But you can never go wrong in watching Nathan McKinnon and Cale McCarr, two superstars at their positions. And I just believe that around that same time, it's only five days after U.S. Thanksgiving, we'll have a real good idea of where things are shaking out in the National Hockey League as well. So put me down for November 29th, Colorado in town. January 6th for me, Tampa Bay Lightning
1: in town. And I've I've been saying this for the last couple of years. Anytime the Lightning are at Canada Life Centre, or really anytime these two teams meet in general, it's an unbelievable hockey game. Two really skilled clubs, similar to the last game that I picked. Two great goaltenders, some Vezina trophies there. The uniforms look great against each other. Everything just goes with this rivalry. Um, So I would... Considering they only play twice a year, it just seems that every time they play, either you get a 7 6 hockey game or you get a, one that's a little bit tighter. But man, like there's, you're always leaving the building going, that game could have also been 7 yeah. 6. So uh, that's uh, January
2: 6th, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Right out of the Jets, my final pick here, uh, the Jets coming out of their bye week in early or mid-February. And, I mean, the matchup isn't really that great because we all know Chicago Blackhawks aren't going to be that great. They're they're rebuilding. But is this the last time, as Jets fans, you'll see Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane in a Chicago Blackhawk uniform with the trade deadline coming up? Or will they already be gone by that time? That was one of the big questions coming from Chicago this year. But February 11th on a Saturday, Looking forward to seeing possibly. Uh, and it, by the way, it is a nine o'clock central start. So <laughs> that's. Drink that, your that, coffee. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of television on that one coming in. But maybe the final time as Jets fans, you see uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in Blackhawks uniforms live.
0: I'll back up a couple of weeks before that game. And I'll say that maybe my last pick, before we get into a bit of a bonus mm-hmm. or some other games that you might consider. Yeah. January 3rd, Calgary comes to town. There's been. I guess we could make the argument, or unarguably, depending on which side, the most noise made of a Canadian team this offseason has been by the Calgary Flames. They have reshaped their roster on the fly, and some would argue that it might even be better. Some would say that it's stayed at par. But whatever, Brad Truliving's done a very good job of getting Jonathan Huberto and, and, you know, some others in there and signed right away as well. Nazem Kadri is another one. I mean, this is going to be a team that I think by the early new year, we're going to have an idea if they're, again, challenging for that top spot in the Pacific Division, challenging for a top spot in the Western Conference being the elite of the elite over on this side of the league. So the Jets should have their hands full. We'll see if it's all collectively worked out for Calgary and all these new additions. And so January the 3rd would be a game that I'd want to take in a Canadian game against a Canadian team, Western Canadian rival in both football and in hockey. So put me down for January 3rd against the Flames at home.
1: This game that I'm going to pick is on a Sunday, but I'm going to call it a throwback. Sunday as opposed to throwback Thursday but I'm going back to the Southeast Division the Washington Capitals are in town uh, December 11th you know, if you want to get someone a nice early Christmas gift, that would be a nice ticket to get at <laughs> six PM start. You know, you're gonna be able to get to bed at a reasonable hour. These are the things that I worry about as a 34-year-old now. Uh, but also I think any time that uh Alex Ovechkin's in your building, um, kind of over the next few years here, uh, is going to be something that you that you can't miss. Of course, the Winnipeg Jets would love to be a team that, you know, keeps him off the scoreboard and he can do all of his scoring in other buildings. But anytime you can watch him play. Uh, over the next few years is a, is going to be a ticket that you're going to want to grab, and as well, similar to what I said with the Tampa Bay Lightning, it just always seems those games against the Caps are really close. They come down to the final few minutes over time. I think both times last year, uh, so a game that you're definitely going to want to circle.
0: Bonus round, sure. Real yeah, I've, got, I've got bonus. Yeah. Okay. November 19th, Crosby comes to town. Mm -hmm. Sydney, of course, chasing 1,500 points. He got his 1,000th point against the Winnipeg Jets. Who knows? It might be a little premature uh, just based on the numbers. December 6th, Paul Maurice return to Winnipeg with the Florida Panthers. December 27th, just after the holiday break, Minnie comes to town. Always a great game. And then, not to be totally generic, but all of the four games in April, because let's just face it, if the Winnipeg Jets are knocking on the door on a playoff spot, any of the four games in April at home should be important to them and to their fan base. I mean, you basically took my <laughs> – I was going
1: to say Florida. I was surprised nobody had – I to... thought
2: bonus round would be like one each, and then that yeah. miss yeah. just goes. <laughs> 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 I've got seven. Yeah. <laughs> I've That's
1: got perfect. Seven. <laughs> That's perfect. Paul Evans doing my work for me just yeah. just like Close you know, the laptop. Let's yeah. go home. Yeah. Guys, thanks very much. And thank you, uh, listeners, for joining us on episode 139 of the Ground Control Podcast. And just a tease looking ahead, we're finishing our assistant coach tour with Brad Lauer next episode. So make sure you tune in for that one. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.
0: This is Big Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to to winnipegjets.com.